Coping with change, dealing with difficulties, and creating a culture of excellence are critical leadership skills. BYU head basketball coach Mark Pope applies these principles for his players, the team's fans, and for the community. Today, he shares important lessons that transcend sports and apply to the challenges of a coronavirus world, all on this episode of Therefore What? Therefore What? is a weekly podcast that breaks down the news while breaking down barriers, challenges you in the status quo, explores timely topics and timeless principles, and leaves you confident to face what's next. I'm Boyd Matheson, opinion editor for the Deseret News, and this is Therefore What? Coach Pope, thank you for joining us today on Therefore What. How are you? I'm great, Boyd. Happy to be here, my friend. Uh, well, it's been, uh, it seems like it's been light years since uh, we last spoke, which was <laughs> on your first day on the job. You've had a, uh, a wild ride, an incredible season. And uh, I want to start right where uh, we left off. Uh, <laughs> you were there first day on the job uh, in the interview. You break the chair. And you say, we're going to break things around here in order to get better. Oh, man, I forgot about that. You're right. That's fantastic. <laughs> so, so what did you break, and what did you build during this season? Oof. Um, well, uh, man, that's a big question. I, I don't know. You know, I'll give you the, the simplest answer I have, which is that I just got to witness some really special things, I think. Um, I got to witness um, uh, staff come together with a common cause. I got to witness players, uh, most importantly, uh, rally around each other and, and genuinely, and this is so rare, genuinely sacrifice for each other uh, for the for the well-being of the team and for something bigger than themselves. And, and uh, I got to witness, uh, on the fun side, I got to witness this extraordinary BYU fan base and and appreciate even deeper than I did before I got here how how much this program means to people um, in 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 a multitude of different uh, areas of their life. Uh, so let's break that down just uh, a little bit. We're going to do this kind of like game film today. How's that? Great. Love it. <laughs> uh, so I think one of the ch- most challenging things to do in today's world, whether it's in a business, an organization, especially on a team uh, coming in as a new lit- leader, is creating that culture uh, in an organization. And uh, by the end of the season, it was very clear that you had a locker room that was unique. Uh, as you mentioned, they were sacrificing for each other. Uh, but that doesn't, one, it's rare anytime, but it's yep. really rare to do that with a group of players that uh, are really experiencing you for the first time. Yeah, um, we'll continue to do an autopsy on this season for the next several months, but but looking back, I think it was a combination of a lot of things. Most importantly, we inherited a group that was pretty humble. And when I say that, what I mean is they were they had kind of tried to do things their way. They had tried to do things kind of fighting for their own agenda and their own uh, identity and and their own, you know, ultimately their own good fortune. And and I think they had reaped the the fruits of that maybe for, in some guys' cases for one or two or three or four or five years. And and while they had uh, a lot of success, they just didn't get to the ultimate goal of where they were chasing. And uh, they, I think they recognize that that little part of them that's inside every single one of us, mind you, that was fighting for themselves, going through that process was leaving them surprisingly empty. And so we inherited a humble group that was determined to to take one last big swing at things and, and give it a shot. And then, of course, the summer was, was full of all kinds of things. So, so, we, so we inherited that great group that had some humility. Uh, we, we had to deal with a bunch of tough issues and make a, uh, a bunch of hard decisions during the course of the summer 
all of that kind of laid the foundation, as, as well as put in a lot of work as in small groups during the summer, and all of that laid the foundation for, uh, kind of gave us a tabula rasa in a really good, healthy way mm. um, to, to kind of create this beautiful stew that these guys created through a player-led organization. Uh, And I think that's so important. It it really was evident that, uh, one, there was great trust between you and the players, uh, but I think it was also a trust because you trusted them. You did let them build this thing. Yeah, you know, it's it's. I think it's the, the, probably the truth with with every organization. I don't know. Actually, that's too big a statement for me. I take that back. Cut, scratch, <laughs> take that out for 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 my little mom and pop shop here at BYU uh, for this basketball team. When the messaging comes from within, that's when it's really powerful. Mm. When it comes top down, uh, it, it has some power, but it doesn't have a lot of staying power, and it and it, and it doesn't come. It doesn't come with the authority, actually, that it does when it comes from players. And so uh, I, I would guess a lot of organizations search for this, but when you can kind of lay down some principles and, and you can find ways where players take ownership of it from the center of the organization, almost to the point, you know, something magical happens, and I think every parent and every teacher and every, every leader can recognize the moments when this happens. when a member of an organization starts owning like it's part of them now mm-hmm. the messaging where where actually when it's done at its very finest it feels like that member of the organization it feels like it was created from within them yeah and man we saw that a lot and one of the fun ways you see it happen is when guys start repeating mantras that the team has talked about all year long they actually start making those words their own, and they start saying them with such belief, yeah. right? with, with such urgency. You hear guys repeat things, and you're like, wow, that just is so fantastic. And I think that's what an organization that's led from the middle, that's led from the, the you know, in my case, the players, um, that's when it has real power. And then when those messages, that messaging actually comes from players, it feels like it's part of their DNA, and they say it with such passion. It has a hundred times the power with their teammates than it does coming from me. I always love uh, Jack Welch, and you know his his turnaround at GE was so phenomenal. But he he often talked about how he his his real job was to be the chief meaning officer, Ooh, <laughs> and to just help people understand this is what we're doing, this is why we're doing it, uh, and here's your space in it. And now uh, I'm always critical of Washington. You know, Washington always says, you know, trust us, trust us, we'll fix it. But I think when you're the chief meaning officer, you're reflecting that out and saying, no, don't trust us. I trust you. I trust you to make this decision. Uh, And I think that's what you're describing with your players. Certainly, in in my experience working on these teams and in these organizations, uh, it it just is without fail. That's where you have really special things happen is when guys can own it and, and they, they can start to espouse it and you can grow that way. And, and you're right, you know, having the meaning. And for us, just as much as the meaning, maybe even more powerful is the belief, right, mm-hmm. um, in so many different things, belief in their work, belief that, that there's going to be payoff. Uh, I actually sat down with a, with a young entrepreneur who, who was so terrific, and I'm going to try and say this right, but he talked about um, insightful self-interest. Mm. And I don't exactly know what that means, but I think what it means is that um, when you have enough trust and insight that you recognize that to obtain your own personal goals, 
and we all have them, you actually have a better chance of attaining them by losing yourself mm. and your own agenda within the framework of the team. It's almost like you give all that up, and then when you do that, you get it back better than you ever could have imagined, right? And this kind of certainly a gospel principle. I mean, it's, it's you know, those who, who lose their lives shall gain them, right? I mean, right. This, this very uh, kind of incredibly um, poignant uh, concept. It, you know, it's something that we worked on as a team every single day, and, and that was one of the things we realized uh, as the season went on. In fact, you know, Cody Feger and I were, were a third of the way through the season, and I've, he, we've been working together now for seven years, and he's one of my most trusted sounding boards. And uh, we were dealing with a whole mound of frustration over one particular player who we had been working with for quite a while and, and seemed like every step forward, you know, ended up in a step backward, right? It seemed yeah. like we were treading water. And, and we just came to the very, very simple, obviously clear personal revelation for us that these things are not decisions you make one time at the beginning of the season and then it's all good. You actually have to reaffirm mm. this decision every single day. Sometimes hour by hour, you have to keep pronouncing your commitment and your belief that you're going to push down your own agenda and fully give yourself to the team. And then you have to keep reminding yourself that you're going to trust that at the end of the day, you're going to have this enlightened self-interest, recognizing that that's the pathway to actually uh, achieving all the success that you want and personally and even more meaning, meaningful success than that. And I just, you know, I, I, at some point uh, I'm going to be able to verbalize that concept much better, but I'm telling you it's, it's true, man. It, it, it is so true, and it's certainly so true for our organization. Our guys, man, they, they dug in and, and made an incredibly valiant attempt to do that, and what they're seeing, all of them, is that they're reaping the rewards of that uh, tenfold of what they could have got on their own. Yeah, I love that. That is great. I'm going to come back to the uh, the team and some of the ups and downs of the season in a minute, uh, but I want to stick on this this culture concept because not only did you build that again from the middle, uh, from the team first uh, in the locker room and on the hardwood. Uh, but you extended that to the fans. And I've only seen this done a couple of times where a coach can come in, whether football, basketball, uh, and literally recreate a culture in, in this amount of time. Uh, and so I want to have you walk us through uh, how you engage the fans. And in particular, walk us through how does a coach say, okay, guys, eventually we're going to need to storm the court? <laughs> tell, us, tell us about that. I think that is magic beyond all that is magic. <laughs> well, you know, um, man, we could talk about this for a long time, right? So I can tell you this, uh, you know, one of, one of my um, uh, favorite, I, I want to choose this word carefully. Well, we've all we're all familiar with the the great stories of of, of Jim uh, Jim Valvano for good and for bad, right? And um, you know, we're, we're, we're all of us in basketball are familiar with his idea of kind of every season cutting down the nets and having his guys practice and visualize it and imagine it. Yeah. And um, and you know, he coached for a long time. He only actually got to cut down those nets one time. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I remember reading about this and and the haunting feeling in my mind. And it, to this day, it makes it's a little bit unsettling to me. Is you know, it's such an extraordinary story that they cut down the nets and they had one of the most unexpected 
respected runs in the history of the NCAA tournament. In, in fact, in their conference tournament also, yeah, that's right. to an NCAA tournament championship. And then they cut down the nets for real. And, and the haunting question for me was like, well, what did he do every other year? You know, <laughs> did, he, did he lose his guys every other year because cause he had laid down this foundation of belief and then ultimately they didn't get there, right? How do you manage all those other years? And I think that's the paralyzing fear that we all feel. Yeah. And that's why, you know, it was interesting. Somebody passed on to me, uh, there was some type of reporting locally, I think in February, early in February. Uh, we had won four or five games in a row in February, I think. And, and uh, you know, of course, I'm unfiltered. I say all kind of ridiculous things. And, and I made the comment that I thought our team uh, had a chance to become really, really dangerous by the, by the end of the season. And then there was some kind of commentary about, you know, is that wise? Should you talk about your team that way? Wouldn't it be better to, like, under, uh, you know, kind of <laughs> shoot for stay under the radar? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And maybe not shoot for mediocrity, but this, this very valid, mind you, very valid and, and probably smarter than my approach idea of like, hey, let's just fly under the radar and then we will ultimately let our accomplishments speak for themselves. And... So all of that is kind of a backdrop of my nervousness and concerns about doing things like having the students storm the court at midnight madness. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, I, I, I'll say, I've said this a hundred times, I'll keep saying it, I'm a dreamer, right? I, I think that's why we're here. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think, I think if we're paralyzed by a fear of failure, and um, so we're not going to try, T-R-Y, those huge three letters, T-R-Y, we're not going to try our hardest and dream our biggest. I think we're short-selling ourselves. And I think the reason we all do it, it clearly is because we're afraid of failing. We're afraid of people, you know, thinking badly of us. We're, we're afraid of, of hoping too big uh, because then we actually have to live with, with the, the dust and ashes of what actually becomes of our deepest and, and, and greatest hopes, right? But at the end of the day, I, I think that while it's really common and it, it, there might be some, some smarts to it, genuinely I uh, would concede that, I just think that it, it leads you to, I just think sometimes it, it, can, it can limit, limit where you can get it eventually, yeah. right? And, yeah. and, and I think if we can get over the fact that we're going to fail, like I'm going to fail. You know, I, I always say this, I, I got hired for, for seven NBA jobs uh, and I got fired from seven NBA jobs. I got fi- <laughs> fired seven times, right? And so, you know, how bad was I? I got fired from seven NBA teams. And um, I guess that's not entirely true, but it's, it's something like that. But the thing is, is like if, if, you, if you just keep taking big swings and big swings and big swings, then you're, you're destined if you refuse to stop, if you'll be yeah. relentless, right? Then, then ultimately you're destined to, to achieve things that are actually bigger than you ever expected. Yeah. I really believe that. And, and, and so when you talk about the scariness of, of kind of closing your eyes and saying, all right, we're going to rush this court, and I'm telling you guys, we're practicing because we're going to do this for real. And, and the complete inability to to control that 100%, right? But actually a very fervent belief that we actually would celebrate that way at some point. Uh, that's where you get to that, right? That's yeah. where you get to that bold slash stupid move of, of kind of throwing that out there. And, and um, it, we were really blessed to have uh, great players this year that actually earned that in real life. Yeah. We, we always say that's the, uh, you know, the, the miracles happen within the parentheses of a crazy idea. Yeah, <laughs> that's I agree how, with that. That's kind of how that rolls. So I want to go through the course of the, the season just a little bit, because you, you talk about this ability to be resilient and be relentless. 
we often uh, quote around here, there's a uh, saying from uh, General Patton, uh, who said that success is is not about how high you soar, it's how high you bounce uh, when you hit bottom. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, describe for me some of the, the ups and downs uh, of the year, uh, the adversity uh, that you hit. What was one of those bottom moments, and how did you turn that uh, into some bounceability and uh, get the players up and, and to even higher levels? Well, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I can't remember exactly what we talked about before. I, I was probably too scared to tell you what happened on my very first day of the job right before the press conference because I walked into the locker room and all the, all the players were there kind of seated and, and uh, there were only a couple of them that actually had any interest in looking me in the eye. And, um, and that was somewhat of a deflating moment. Now, incredibly understandable because, you know, the greatest coach to ever coach at BYU and maybe – that will ever coach at BYU, Dave Rose, had just retired. And, and you can imagine how, you know, how hard that was for everybody. I know yeah. it's hard for Coach, and I, and I know it's hard for these guys. And so, you know, you want to talk about tough moments. That was a little bit of a tough moment, walking in the locker room for the first time and just um, at the very best, a chilly reception. And, and clearly with a, a, a lot of work to do in a lot of different areas. And then, you know, you, you, just, you just count them out. I mean, they've been pretty well chronicled, but, uh, you know, you, you, we get here and Yoli Child has already determined that he's leaving, and, and then uh, from within him, this burgeoning desire to actually come back and take one more swing at this thing let him back here and just just he's he's one of the extraordinary people I know in life and and uh was just just wanted to do this one more time and so he comes back but then 6 weeks later it turns out that he's you know going to be suspended for the first 9 games of the season yeah. and and so that was certainly a blow to our team and we had some personnel issues during the summer that uh became increasingly public that were you know that that you know mostly uh lay on my shoulders uh they got complicated in our locker room and and, um, you know, it's kind of one hit after the next, and we finally kind of get rolling, and we're starting to feel feel uh, decent about ourselves. And, and Zach Selyus breaks his foot, so he's going to miss a lot of the summer. And, and then, uh, you know, to the beginning of the season, we lose Gavin Baxter for what we expected was for the entire season. You know, he wasn't available to, to play at any point. And, um, you know, you just kind of you go through the season, and, and you know, and then, then midseason, Yoli finally gets back, and then he, he compound dislocation to his finger, so he's out, and then Dalton Nixon breaks his leg. And I mean, you just kind of go through this series of things that were really, really complicated for us and throw in there, you know, some, some untimely things, you know, some things of my own doing, you know, uh, some poor coaching uh, early in the season in critical moments. And it was, there were a lot of, there were a lot of opportunities for all of us as an organization to, you know, to kind of uh, retreat and, and lick our wounds and, and um, maybe feel a little sorry for ourselves. But we had such unbelievable leadership uh, from our seniors this year that that was never a consideration on this team. Love that. That's uh, that's so critical, so important. Uh, and clearly, as you went through that season, through all of those uh, ups and downs, you get to the, the great win over Gonzaga. You do get to storm the court. Uh, I think the I think the students did a pretty good job. I think all in all. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I didn't hear any reports of injuries, so I, I'd give them a ten. That's man. a they win. Crushed it. <laughs> we'll have to look for a, a repeat performance for uh, for next year. Uh, yep. So you get that great win. You're climbing up the uh, the national polls. Uh, you're looking at the postseason. March Madness is just around the corner. All of us are just chomping at the bit uh, for you know a first ticket to the big dance uh, since Jimmer was there. Uh, and then all of a sudden, things just start to spin out. Uh, 
nationally, internationally, and suddenly March Madness goes from maybe postponed to maybe a unique uh, no fans to a complete cancellation. Uh, tell me just a, one, just personally tell me about your ride through that. And then tell me, what did you teach your team? What do you hope your players are taking uh, out of this really tough, really challenging lesson? Yeah, well, at first, um, you know, for for me, it was, uh, you know, I'm 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 equally as emotional as a, as my players, right? So we kind of share that together. I don't know if that's good coaching, but we're we're in this together, and so you know, sometimes it, it takes an incredible amount of work, and a lot of times I fail to kind of um, control my emotional ride for the benefit of the team, and certainly there have been moments in this process in the last few weeks where you know I, I think I felt as devastated or more devastated than my guys which is crazy because this is their one shot right yeah and um and so that was really difficult I mean you know we've kind of talked about we we heard the news we were actually meeting as a team ironically we were meeting we were about to go out on the practice floor guys were taped and in their practice gear we're in the film room we had watched a couple uh clips on concepts we were going to work on that day and then we had prepared a like a five slide educational uh, PowerPoint on the coronavirus, actually, so our guys could speak educated, you know, in in, in some sort of educated way on it. And uh, we were in the middle of doing that presentation. I was sharing that information with the team, and my assistant coach, uh, Cody Figure, waved his his phone in front of my face, and with the announcement that the tournament had been canceled. And um, you know, we had been hoping desperately that they would hold it with no fans, and then. When that looked like it wasn't promising, and it all happened so fast over the course of the next 16 hours, we were hoping desperately that they would postpone, like postpone yeah. so we at least have a chance. And then when it came out straight to cancellation, it, you know, it, it was it was a hit for us. And I, I have to say this every time because we fully understand the really, really awful global life and death implications of this on the world, right? Um, not just health-wise, but also uh, job-wise and, and, and mental health-wise and, and all the... We don't understand it, but we, we can grasp it. We understand the, the gravity of the situation. And so I would never want anybody to misunderstand our understanding of that when I also say that it was an incredibly devastating moment for our team. It was devastating. And um, you know, I think about these guys, and of course they've been dreaming about this their whole life, but they have been literally in the throes of physically and mentally chasing it for years. Right. For some of my guys, four and five years, and chasing this elusive prize that they treasured so much, and then finally got it. Like, they got it. It was right there. There was no work left to be done except to prepare for it. And then it, for it to be pulled from them like that, it was really hard. And there were a lot of tears and a lot of si- a lot of silence, <laughs> uncomfortable silence and sad silence. And and uh, and then we just have been trying to deal with it every day since then. Uh, it, you know, if you, you, your second part of the question was what I feel like I've been able to teach my team. The truth is, is that most of the, most of the time this team che- teaches me <laughs> all the important lessons. What we've spent some time talking about is what we talked about with all those other little things that came up during the course of the season. And that is, we always talk about the game is always just asking you one question. It's always asking you one question. It's asking you one question during the course of the game, after the game, after a win, after a loss. All the game cares about is how are you going to respond. You go 0 for 5, how are you going to respond on your sixth shot? You get two bad foul calls that you don't agree with, well, how are you going to respond right after that? You take a bad L and, 
and and the community has kind of lost faith in you, and and everybody's fussed with you. All the game wants to know is how you're going to respond. They don't care about how you feel about it. They want to know how you're going to respond. The game wants to know that, right? And you can just as well insert life in there. Life doesn't really care about how you're feeling or what happened before. Life wants to know what is your answer to whatever you just experienced, whether it was the greatest moment in your life or the worst, whether it was the greatest victory or the toughest loss, right? It's how are you going to respond? How are you going to ring the bell? And this team did it over and over and over and over again this season. And then, of course, their biggest uh, seemingly irretrievable challenge um, was the cancellation of this tournament. And, and so the guys get to answer the question again, how are you going to ring the bell? And, and in this case, when you don't have another day to compete, when you don't get to have another game, it can be so disorienting. So the other thing we talk about is like when you can't see ahead, when things don't make sense, you have to just keep putting one foot in front of the other until things become clear, right? You got to just keep working and keep fighting and keep trying. And so if there was any team that was prepared for this, it was us in a, in a really sad way, right? Yeah. Uh, because these guys had done it all season long, and, and they've handled this like champs. And, and, uh, and, and they'll, you know, the guys that don't get to come back, they'll go on and, 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 and have this in their back pocket forever and understand that, that life just wants to know how you're going to respond. And for the guys that get to come back, uh, they'll cherish every single moment they have on this court. Uh, we, we've made the full journey from uh, breaking stuff to, to, building some, <laughs> to building something special. And... I did get a new chair, by the way, so I'm sitting comfortably right now. <laughs> That's good to know. Good to know. <laughs> Therefore, what? Well, hey, Coach, as we uh, wrap up uh, the show, is therefore what? Uh, people have been listening for a good 20 minutes now. A lot of people are hunkered down, uh, you know, trying to find something uh, to move them forward. Uh, what's the takeaway? What do you hope people think different? What do you hope they do different after uh, listening to this uh, episode today? Well, I, I, I hope that we all do the same thing because we're fighting to do the same thing as a team and, and as a staff and me as a head coach. And that is to find opportunity in everything. So you know, we we have you know, you know, we can kind of rail against our situation right now, um, and we can we can feel sorry for ourselves and complain, or we can you know take advantage of it to not have to be as focused or not have to work as hard. All those are legitimate options, or we can look really hard for the opportunity that we've been provided by this first ever circumstance in any of our lifetimes, right? Yeah, and so. That, that's probably what, that's what my guys are doing. They're trying to find the opportunity in this. They're trying to find the opportunity where, where maybe they can find some way to grow themselves in a unique way, where they can find some way to jump ahead of the competition because other people might be distracted by the circumstances of the moment. Uh, they're, they're, they're trying to find a way where they can actually love people and serve people better because it's built into the moment. Um, and so I, I, I think that's probably the takeaway of ringing the bell and, and, and life answering, asking you how you're going to respond is we have this right now. So where is the opportunity? It's because it is, if you, you don't have to look that hard to see how this moment in time is chock full of unique opportunities for each of us to do things and chase things and, and grow in ways that we've never had the opportunity to grow before. Uh, fantastic. BYU head basketball coach Mark Pope, uh, the ultimate in bounceability. Uh, you guys proved it over and over again uh, during the course of the season. Great lessons for us today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Boyd. I appreciate you, man. Remember, after the story is told, after the principle is presented, after the discussion and debate have been had, the question for all of us is, therefore what? 
Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening today. And be sure to rate this episode and leave us a review. Follow us on uh, Deseret.com slash TW and subscribe to our newsletter. This is Boyd Matheson, opinion editor for the Deseret News. Thanks for engaging with us on Therefore What?